Hey guys, welcome to the Men's Global Livestream. If you have a Bible, I want you to hold a spot in Judges chapter 11. We're in a series, part two of that series, called Crazy Asks. And I wanna start off part two by just asking you a question. Ever had your car break down? Ever had to call for a tow truck? See, for guys like us, or maybe like me, who uh, are not so great under the hood, when the car breaks down, you gotta call a tow truck. And it's that lovely, unwelcomed interruption of life that you don't plan, but you kind of just got to work through. And man, I'm telling you, when you finally see 20, 30 minutes later, that tow truck guy show up, you're just like, finally, because your desperation has now been provided a solution. And the solution is a guy who has the right set of skills at the right time to just get you going forward again. I wanna say that again. Right guy comes at the right moment to meet the right need. And in the Bible, you see that as God works with his people, uh, as individuals, um, he assigns us kind of that role of the tow truck guy. Um, you read words in the Bible like, for such a time as this. Or you might hear others say, gosh, this is the right guy for the job. In the Bible, that is so true. God puts people into his story, history, uh, at a certain location on the planet for a certain time, for a certain set of relationships, going through and using certain experience, both bad and good, to meet needs that no one else is suited to meet. It's kind of like a puzzle piece. I don't know if you guys are puzzle people uh, on vacations and stuff. We do puzzles, but you know, you kind of frame it and then you're kind of searching for those, those pieces and, and they start laying in easy at first, harder, but you need that certain, right? That certain cutout, uh, that certain shape. And that is kind of how God's unfolding story of humanity and history and people is playing out. Um, you're designed to suit up and show up to fulfill God's larger story and God's larger picture. And, and sometimes it's just a crazy ask. And in this session, we're gonna meet a guy just like us who is God's perfect puzzle piece for a specific situation and his name is Jephthah. Uh, he's alive at a certain time in the biblical story and history. Uh, he's in a certain location, right? And he's in relationship, both past and present, with a certain set of people, and he has a certain set of skills, right? And is being asked by God to kind of be that perfect puzzle piece that fits in to what he wants to do for that moment in history, for all the parties involved, but for Jephthah personally. He's accomplishing other things in the process. So if you have your downloaded notes, I want you to look at the verses at the top of your notes from Ezekiel 22. It talks about how God is actively searching for the right people to meet the right needs at the right moment. moment. All right, so Ezekiel 22, uh, verses 29 to 31. 
It says this, the people of the land have practiced extortion and committed robbery, and they've oppressed the poor and needy and have oppressed the stranger without justice. All right, there's the context. And here's God talking. I searched for a man among them who would build up a wall and stand in the gap before me for the land so that I would not destroy it, but I found no one. So I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I brought their way upon their heads, declares the Lord. So what you see is you see a community, a city, people in it, there's injustices um, happening. And here we are from, from God's seat. And he's giving us a window to what he's doing. And what is he doing? He's searching for what? A man among them, right? Who would be able to stand in the gap, be that puzzle piece before some, some bad consequences uh, unfold. But God lamentingly says, uh, but he found no one and had to work into another situation where, where judgment was the tutor and redemption would have to come later on. So what do we observe from the Bible when it comes to right person, right moment, right need? Four things, write these down. God sees human events, right? Small events, big events, marriages, people in jobs, people of faith just living their lives, right? In community, and there's this battle of good and evil, justice and injustice on this broken planet. He sees all these human events. God sees you right now. God sees the events of your life. God even sees the injustices that are going on on planet Earth. Secondly, God is looking for critical people. Write that down. Not just anybody, but he's looking for certain types of people to stand in the gap right, in these human events uh, that are, are going on. They're the perfect fit for the perfect need at the perfect time in his story, right? Third, we see personal responses. When God's searching and God's putting out asks for his people to step up and step in, he's not gonna twist our arm. He's not gonna force us. He created us with a will and we see human responses. In this instance, no one was responding, all right? Now, what people can't see and what God does see is what he's gonna do based on the events, the critical people, and their responses. And that's the fourth thing. There's a set of unknown consequences. You see, a lot of times we make decisions to step up and meet critical needs, uh, and then there's other times we pass them by and we, we don't say yes. And what we don't see when we don't step up and step in as, as God's instrument, as God's solution, is there's a whole set of unknown consequences. What the people couldn't see is what God was gonna do next. And so God, instead of using people as the solution and as the redemption, uh, he can't find the right person. He can't find people who are willing. So now he has to use judgment, right, to advance his will and as the tutor in the situation, which then is going to bring about 
So it's, it's sort of like, based on our decisions, God can work around our no to being his puzzle piece to meet a critical need, uh, but there are consequences to that. And so, uh, sort of in a Shakespearean sort of way, what I want you to understand, and I have a quote from Shakespeare right here on the page, I want you to understand this. Shakespeare says, all the world's a stage and all the men and women are merely players. They have their exits and their entrances, and one man in his time plays many parts. You might have heard that quote before, all the world's a stage and we are but players, right? But what I loved about this line from As You Like It, which is the pastoral play that, that, that Shakespeare wrote, uh, is, is this line, one man in his time plays many parts, right? That's true, all right? It's not true because William Shakespeare says it, it's true because God says it. You're created by God, you're created for God while you're on this earth. One day, we're all gonna go back to God, but between when we're created and enter the world stage, and when we head back to God, there is this unfolding story that now we become a part of, and we get to decide, right, as created beings with a free will, uh, if we're gonna play our part, right? Now, Shakespeare's line is random. It's kind of vague, it's random, it's a general statement. The Bible is way more intentional and way more specific. In Ephesians 2.10, it says this, he creates each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does. The good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. So you are uniquely created for a unique time to fulfill this unique part in the panorama puzzle of God. Just let the paint dry on that, just for a second. Wow, that means it all counts. That means every day counts, that there's, there's, there's pieces of my life journey that it's gonna come right into play and I have a choice to make, right? The question is, do I wanna play my part in God's panorama of history and in the time that I am being placed into his picture, right? Because you're gonna get invitations. If you're a person of faith and you know Jesus Christ, God is going to make invitations, direct, indirect, from his word, through circumstances, through other people, through the connections, uh, through the serendipities, that he providentially controls, and you're gonna get invitations. So what I wanted to do in part two is just kinda, kinda look at a guy who received uh, a direct invitation, a direct ask, and it was a big ask, it was a crazy ask, uh, to participate in God's story, and his name is Jephthah. And kinda the headline for Jephthah is, he's an imperfect man but perfect for God's job that he wanted to do in this moment in history. So here's where we're going, here's where we're headed. We're gonna look at the backstory of Jephthah because it's, it's, it's critical, it's context for understanding why what God asks him to do is so powerful. Uh, we're gonna look at the crazy ask of Jephthah by God, uh, and then we're gonna look at his response. Right? We're gonna see his personal response 
to God's ask, which isn't easy, all right? And then we're gonna look at the rest of the story. Now, um, before we dive into it, I just, this, I just want you to know that if you have ever had the thought, how could or why would God wanna use my story? God, God would never use my story for his glory. Jephthah's story will make you think twice now. So let's look at the backstory for Jephthah, right? We find that in Judges 11, verses 1 through 3. Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons, and when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You're not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. Wow, what a journey. So let's flash way back uh, before Jephthah was even born. Jephthah's dad sleeps with a prostitute, right? Jephthah has absolutely no control over that or how he enters uh, the world but he enters the world a bastard. What does that mean? It means that he is labeled illegitimate. And when you're labeled illegitimate and you're the son of another woman outside the covenant of marriage, it means that you forfeit your inheritance rights. You have no stake. Even though you had no control, you're born into a family and you have no stake. And in this culture, at this time in history, uh, the inheritance went to the boys, all right? Um, so Jephthah's growing up, he's got this label, he uh, has this shame on him, but he's still connected uh, to the family, and, and it's clear that he's hoping to still be a part of his family, and, uh, there, but there's pressure. There's pressure culturally, there's pressure familially, there's pressure religiously to get this blot named Jephthah kind of out of the picture to, 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 for whatever reason, sanitize and make tidy, uh, you know, the family profile, right? So the brothers, his brothers use his origins, his birth, his label, the religious culture against him, and they, they divest him out of the only community of faith he has ever known, the only family uh, that he has and the only future that he knows. So here's the backstory. You've got a huge injustice perpetrated on a young guy uh, that, that has no control over it. So let's, let's uh, put three headlines to Jephthah's backstory. First headline is Jephthah had a sad story. I mean, any way you look at it. He had no control over it. It's sad what is happening to Jephthah. Number two, Jephthah had mad skills. Okay, the Bible describes him as a mighty warrior, right? And those, those warrior disciplines and warrior skills came out of the injustice of what happened to him. He flees, he hooks up with the gang, they teach him how to use a blade, his leadership skills kind of take over 
uh, with this other community that he finds himself in, and he becomes kind of a, a mighty warrior and overlord who's super skilled in warfare and with the blade. So Jephthah had a sad story. Jephthah also has mad skills that are developed out of what's happened to him. Third, Jephthah had a bad reputation, right? He's a warlord. It's a gang of scoundrels, all right? And, you know, just like any gang that is up to no good, um, they had a reputation, and he was their leader, all right? So, wow, what a backstory for the perfect puzzle piece that God wants to use, and let's get into that, all right? Here's the crazy ask, all right? So let's roll a film on Jephthah. So uh, he's hanging out with his guys. They're doing their thing, and we read this in verses 4 through 8. Sometime later, when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come fight with us to fight the Ammonites and you will be head over all of us who live in Gilead. Do you see the 800-pound gorilla in the middle of this, this, this conversation, right? Uh, this is so awkward, right? So again, now knowing his backstory, uh, we have some dynamics taking over, all right? Let's write these down, all right? The situation forces the invitation, all right? It's transactional. They kick Jephthah out of their community, and during times of peace, men of peace work. But during times of war, men of peace do not work, all right? And so they don't have the right kind of leader with the right kind of skills and the right kind of attitude and the right kind of courage to defend themselves and so men of peace need a man of war. The situation forces the invitation, all right? It's, it's need-based, it's transactional, all right? And Jephthah is in their minds the perfect puzzle piece for their desperate situation, all right? Secondly, the situation, as we read, stirs up powerful emotions, all right? Jephthah is like, wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Didn't you hate me? Didn't you drive me from my father's house? I mean, he gets to the root issue and says, there's an 800-pound gorilla in the room. You're asking me to do something, but you seem to be forgetting the injustice that you guys, because he blames them. He blames the religious leaders for the pressure that eventually had his family push him out and made him homeless, and then he found a new group of friends and a new family, right? Um, so the situation stirs up powerful emotions, and isn't that true? You know, we all, we all have the good and bads of life. We have good and bad experiences growing up. We have good and bad experiences with, with friends and at work and with people. We have good and bad experiences just for things we couldn't control, right? And so here we have a situation that's presented to Jephthah, and it's triggering him. Like, wait, what? 
You gotta be kidding me, right? Third, the situation ignites a powerful redemption. This is one of my favorite stories and this is one of my favorite moments in the Bible because you have kind of the, the perpetrators and their victim kind of coming together because there's a situation that really requires reconciliation. Man, isn't that a word for today's cultural moment? And uh, you see these words in the Bible, nevertheless. So there's a soft admission. They're not saying, no, 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 we didn't do that. They're just saying, nevertheless means, yeah, we know, but we are turning to you now. So that must have satisfied Jephthah. They didn't deny it. And they're basically saying, you're right. Nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Both the elders and Jephthah had to come to terms with both what happened and who did what, and now decide, okay, are we gonna reconcile and are we going to go to war for God's people? So there's the crazy ask for Jephthah. Just kind of pause for a second and imagine that you're him. You know, imagine over whatever the course of time was between when you're forced to leave the only community of faith you know, forced to leave the only family you know, forced to leave the only future you know, and it gets, it gets etch-a-sketched, it gets turned into a blank canvas, and you don't know what is gonna happen to you. And then you enter a new life, new family, new friends, all right? You start living your life, and your whole life you're, you're, you're kinda wondering, man, How's justice gonna come about? What's, what's gonna happen? And man, God just divinely orchestrates this situation where a reconciliation can happen and a redemption can happen, but Jephthah struggles with it. Listen to what he says as we see his risky yes to God's crazy ask. Verses nine and 10. Jephthah answered, suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, the Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah, Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead and the people made him head and commander over them. And he repeated all his words before the Lord in Mizpah. So what you have is you have a reasonable suspicion. He's still not there yet. And you know what? Um, for any of you guys out there where God, there's a tension in you to move forward where you kind of know that you need to do something, but you're suspicious. You're, you're fearful. All right. Totally normal. So you got to ask the questions like Jephthah did. All right. He's got it. Wisdom says, okay, I want to guarantee, you know, will, I don't trust your motives. If I get the victory for you, then you can just dump me out like you did last time. And so their response was, was probably the most emphatic thing that they could have said. When someone says, as the Lord is our witness, 
um, we will certainly do as you say. In that culture and in that setting, that was probably the strongest guarantee because it was done publicly, it was done in front of other people, and uh, there was probably people watching. And so uh, you don't want the reputation to that you're calling on God's name to sort of stamp your, your commitment and then go back on it. So Jephthah gets what he's looking for, uh, but he still can't know before the fact, and he goes with them. And that step is his yes, all right? He could say it with his mouth, but until he's moving his feet and walking with the elders back to Gilead for this thing to go down, that's a yes. And that's also his step of faith. He is committing without knowing. By the way, that's a good definition of faith. Faith is, I'm gonna commit without knowing. I can't know the facts ahead of time, but based on the wisdom that I have or based on the character of God, I'm, I'm gonna go forward. And then we see that that step of faith is rewarded. That's why the little headline on your note says, a risky yes releases new rewards and a new chapter. So just kinda take a step back a second. Remember the backstory? Wow, all that shame, all that. And here's the bastard son of a prostitute walking back with the same people who perpetrated total injustice against him. And they're escorting him into the, the seat of Israel's next judge, which is the highest ranking position in the country, man. If that, that's not a new chapter, I don't know what is, but you see, that's what God does. And I just wanna talk for one second to a few people I know right now that are watching, maybe not a few, maybe dozens, maybe hundreds, because thousands of people watch this. You, you have said to yourself, my past has has polluted my future with God. Uh, God would never want to use me. Now, I'm sure that Jephthah did a lot of stuff while he was with his gang that he's not proud of, all right? But God, in his grace and in his mercy, sees that that wound created that kid, and I want to redeem that kid, and that injustice needs to be acknowledged and there needs to be justice coming out of it. And so it's so cool. Just think about the backstory, the ask, and then Jephthah, all the, the fears and emotions that he would have to kind of move forward, going back to the same people who traumatized him. Wow. Because people who've been, been traumatized by anything, whether that's uh, sexual trauma or work trauma, or maybe a work accident, you don't go back to that same dimension of your life. The same, but you know what? God was with Jephthah and God was providing the assurance. And so he said yes. And so as we watch Jephthah say yes to God in faith, it reveals for every person of faith, every man of faith, what saying yes to God means when there's tension, all right, inside of us, all right? So let's unpack that, take out your notes, and write this down. Like Jephthah, a yes to God means battling fears. A yes to God means battling fears, all right? These people, 
They hurt me, all right? And that created uh, just a lot of pain, all right? Overcoming that to say yes to this kind of transcendent situation, you know, going on, it means, I mean, it's, it's a battle. So, you know, we battle fear. We're, we're battling fear right now in this global moment, you know, moving forward, trying to uh, advance, all right? And God sees right where we are. Secondly, a yes to God means trusting promises. The elders' promises to Jephthah were God's promises indirectly through them, but directly from God. You know, uh, as we look to the future and as we think about our past and we're put into the present, um, we have to reconcile uh, tension, wounding, past experiences, and, and trusting again. Right now, the character of the people doing the trusting, we're going to need a little insurance. It might be people, might be God. All right, Jephthah got enough situationally out of the elders to trust them again, and in trusting them, he was he was really trusting God, because he was being brought into this situation, and 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 into this reconciliation and redemption, uh, strategically by God, not just for the situation, but for him and his relationship with God and his service of God. That needed to move forward, all right? So you got these two tracks. So a yes to God means battling fears. A yes to God means trusting promises. There are some of you, you're like, I I've had too much happen to me for me to trust a promise in this book. Well, that may be true, but you've got to trust the promise of the God of promise. The God who stretched himself out and had his limbs dislocated to fit a bloody cross. He earned your trust. And so when push comes to shove, that love wins your trust. So you're gonna to have to trust Christ. Third. A yes to God, as we see with Jephthah, means stepping out in faith. It's one thing to say, okay, I trust you. It's another thing to put movement in there. There's an inner decision, clearly, on Jephthah's part. It's like, all right, I'm gonna do it. But then there's an outer expression, and he starts walking in their promise, right? There's a no to fear, and there's a yes to the ask. God right now, is speaking to so many of you, I know. I can see, um, I can see the arrows of the Holy Spirit just piercing into you through his word and through this story. This story is for you. In fact, if that's true, I want you to send me a note because I wanna pray for you. Right, Kenny, this story is me. Um, I need to step out. There's been some experiences or there's, there is some shame and there is, but I, I realize God's calling me forward and mercifully, he's giving me some new opportunities where I need to say no to the fear, no to the shame, and I need to say yes to God, and I, I'm battling, but I'm gonna trust God's promises, and here's the big part. You gotta show up. You gotta show up, and that's where we wanna go now. We, we've looked at the backstory. We've seen this crazy, awkward situation, which is a God ask, all right, FYI, sometimes it is crazy awkward because it's so awesome. 
right? And what those, what that involves. Now let's look at the rest of the story, all right? We'll pick up the story in Judges 11 and 12. It says this, Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord, if you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's. And I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from Aurora to the vicinity of Mineth as far as Abel, Karamim. Thus, Israel subdued Ammon. Jephthah led Israel for six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in the town of Gilead. Parenthetically, as a total hero. So isn't that amazing that the rest of the story, uh, as we see it happen, involves God's spirit falling on a man, coming on a man, coming over a man, and equipping him to advance. And then the man advances, and as he's advancing and sensing the Lord's movement in his life, where he's going to go take territory assigned for him to take, he senses what's going on. He senses the spirit of the Lord on him, and he now is working out this, this process as he's going to enter a situation and he feels like he needs to recommit his life to God in the best way that he knows how. And so, no atheists in foxholes, right? He's about to go to war. He recommits himself to God by making a vow. And he said, you know what? It's all yours. Whatever is mine, is yours and whatever I see when I get back after the victory, Lord, um, it's yours. And um, what we're not gonna read is that his only child, that's the first thing that he sees and it's sad, but he's committed. He's gonna dedicate her to the Lord and she's gonna serve in the temple for the rest of her life. That's how the rest of Judges 11 rolls out. But you see that in the process, he's recommitting himself to God. There's a lot of you right now, you're just like Jephthah, right? Right now, even as I'm talking, the Holy Spirit is tugging at your belly. You feel God's presence and God's conviction. And you feel like, man, that guy on the screen is God's talking directly to me. And you sense God's doing something. Can I just encourage you to do what Jephthah did? You need to surrender your, your whole life to God. The good of your life, the loss of your life, the pain of your life, the trauma of your life, the skills you've developed, all that you are, all that you hope, all that you dream. You need to surrender the whole thing to God. You need to do what Jephthah did. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you and he wants you to advance. He doesn't want you to go backwards and he wants a total recommitment of all that you are, not some of who you are, not some dimensions of your life, not Sundays or a Bible study group, 
but your private life, your private thoughts, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The other thing I see here uh, in what Jephthah does is that he shows up to the fight. And, and that's where I want to kind of unpack and make some simple observations. Um, because Israel subdues Ammon because Jephthah was God's perfect puzzle piece for that moment. Ammon, kind of in UFC terms, got to tap out. Subdued. Done. Over. Right? So let's make uh, some observation about how God can take the worst thing and redeem it and redeem a journey and because of actually the worst thing causes power to flow from it to protect and provide for his people and heal Jephthah in the process. What's God saying to us right now? Number one, God's saying, your past has no control over my future. If you ever thought your past limits, pollutes, or hinders God's future, think twice. You know, the disciples were watching Jesus get tortured and crucified, and they thought that was hindering their future. But you know what? God was creating a future for them and for me and for you. His power came through that injustice. His salvation came through. Our salvation came through that injustice. Our redemption came through the worst thing. And that's how we know, men, and for the few women that are watching, that's how we know that our past has no control over God's future. When Jesus was dead and buried, that didn't have control over what was going to happen next. Why? Because God was involved. Something might feel dead to you right now. Your career might feel dead. Right? Your relationships might feel dead. All right? Your service for the Lord, your mission might feel dead. I got good news for you. All right? That's God's perfect canvas to get all the glory and to create a new chapter for you and to redeem you and to redeem your life and redeem your mission, redeem your relationships, right? Redeem your career. Wow. Are you going to give God that chance? So your past has no control over God's future. Secondly, God's saying to us right now, your embarrassment is my empowerment. Your embarrassment is my empowerment. Can I just tell you that before I came to Jesus, there's a lot of things I did which I, I'm totally embarrassed by. But then God actually, in a 180 degree shift, uses the things that I was ashamed about to reach other people who are experiencing shame without redemption and forgiveness and mercy and grace and purpose. Unbelievable. I mean, chapters that are dark, sexual trauma, suicide, pornography. I mean, how could God, how could God use that? But he does, and he did. And I'm so grateful, and that's pretty much why I'm in this seat here with you. 
Am I proud of things I did? No. Am I proud of some things that have happened to me out of my control? No. Do I want to talk about it? Not really. But God promised me in your weakness is my power perfected, Kenny. So because you have my grace and mercy and because I'm on your team now and because I'm in your life and because you're created by me and for me, because you're fully loved, fully accepted, and fully identified with me, can you trust that I want to use those chapters you would rather not discuss to reach other people who need comforting because they don't, they can't see through the fog. Okay. So God's saying to us, me, you, everybody watching, your embarrassment is my empowerment. Believe it or not, I'm big enough to use those things for my glory. Amen? Amen. Third, God's saying, your imperfections are subject to my redemptions. All right? Your imperfections are subject to my redemptions. That's what we see in Jephthah. I mean, wow, okay? His self-perception was full of imperfections. God didn't see those imperfections. God looked past those imperfections. And that's where the devil really gets into our heads, doesn't he? He just kind of nitpicks. Not only is he a liar and a murderer, but he is the, the, the chief nitpicking officer in spiritual warfare, if you listen. So I'm sure that as Jephthah was living his life and as this request kind of comes to him, the chief nitpicking officer of, of men, Satan, is going, yeah, but you're a bastard child, you've killed people, you've robbed people, look at your friends, look who hangs out with you, you're unclean, you're unpure. How could God use you? And God's going, yeah, he's imperfect, but he's the perfect man for my job right now. And I want you to hear that. Your imperfections, as bad as you think they, they are, God sees past them, he sees through to your heart, they're subject to God's redemption if you let him become your savior and your redeemer by receiving his mercy and grace right now. Receive it in the name of Jesus, the grace and mercy and forgiveness provided by the person and work of Christ. Just receive it. Say, God, I receive it. I receive it again. The blood of Christ was shed for you the blood of Christ covers you. The blood of Christ seals you. Receive that. Say it. In Jesus' name, I receive the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus on my behalf and the filling of God's Spirit. So what's the key to our response? Remember, human events, critical people, personal responses, unknown consequences. That's God. He's looking to see, okay, who's going to be my puzzle piece? How is this going to work? And it's, it's the puzzle, part of the puzzle that is your life. There is this, this amazing mosaic called history. And within the amazing mosaic is communities and individuals and little parts of the puzzle. And every piece is critical. I don't finish a puzzle until the last piece is in it. And you know what God's saying? You need to fulfill your role in my mosaic, my story, 
I want you to be a part of my story. What's the key? Write this down. Say yes! Exclamation point. Now, parenthetically, I would say, dummy, after say yes. Say yes, dummy, come on. All of who we are, imperfections and all, God's going, guess what? I want you to be a part of my story. And I'll do all the redeeming. I'll provide all of the openings. I'll open doors. I'll close doors. And I'm going to take your right now life just as it is, not your cleaned up, sanitized, holy, sanctified life that you think you have to have before God can use you. I'm going to take you just as you are, and I am going to start creating. I'm going to start speaking a new future. I'm going to take whatever you're embarrassed by, I'm going to use that as my empowerment. I can do that. Let me handle it. I'm going to take all of your imperfections, right? And they're going to become subject to my redemptions and I'm going to repurpose you and the things that you're not proud of and I'm going to use them for my glory. That is the story of Jephthah. Wow. But he had to say yes. So guys, do you hear God speaking? He's talking to you right now. I know it. I can see through the, the lens of this camera hundreds and hundreds of men that need to get on their knees right now where you are. I don't care where you are. If you're jogging and listening to a podcast, find a bench or a piece of grass and kneel. If you're in your living room, kneel. Wherever you are, put yourself in a posture of humility and faith toward God and pray with me right now. Let my prayer be your prayer. God, right now I'm saying yes. And as I... I have taken in your word and the story of Jephthah. I want to say yes to, to his journey right now in my time, in my place, where I'm at. And I'm saying yes to your Holy Spirit coming on me right now, just like you came on Jephthah. Holy Spirit, come on me. Holy Spirit, come over me. Holy Spirit, fill me. Holy Spirit, control me. Holy Spirit, take all of me. Take all of the shame. Take all of the anxiety. Take all of the pressure. Take all of the bad decisions, Lord, because I want to fulfill your purpose for my time and to advance your purposes. And Lord, like Jephthah, I'm making a new commitment today. I sense your presence on me. Whatever it takes, I totally surrender all that I am, all that I fear, all that I have, everyone I know, all of my hopes, all of my dreams, I totally surrender my complete and total life to be a piece of your unfolding puzzle in this hour of time. And now, God, I'm going to go. I'm going to go where you tell me to go. I'm going to show up. I'm going to fight the good fight of faith. I'm going to show up to new opportunities that you are providing. I'm going to see the new victories that you are opening. I'm going to step on the gas pedal. Lord, I declare a new season for my life in Christ. God, my hurts might have shaped me in new ways, but they do not define me. 
my hurts like Jephthah's may create some new skills, maybe some new thinking, but they've also created some new compassion that I wouldn't otherwise have. And I want to even thank you for how you can redeem the dark chapters of my life. But now, under the control of your Holy Spirit, God, I say yes. Repurpose me, reshape me, so that your purposes can advance through me. Thank you, God, for my victory. In Jesus' name, amen. God's touched a lot of people, and I want to hear from you. I saw it. I saw, I saw God's, God's spirit just dropping like fire. Just all these, 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 these flames, these droplets of God's presence. And when it hit you, the oil of the Lord came on you. The presence of the Lord came on you. It came down as fire, hot and purifying, and then the oil of the Lord comforted you. If that's you, I want you to write me. So next week, we're going to take on our next character. I want you to invite a friend. I want you to go and retrieve the link on this. I think right now there's a lot of you who've been touched, who know someone who should be touched by what the Lord just declared through the story of Jephthah and his crazy ass. So make sure you share it with them, and we'll see you next week.